This morning we're continuing our series, Marks of Jesus, where we look at what it means to be a follower of Jesus Christ, follow the example that Christ has laid out for us in the way he lived his life, the way he honoured God, his heavenly Father, and we're going to look at how we as brothers and sisters, as children of God, as Christians, um, are called to be a forgiving people. So I'm just going to pray, and then we're going to make a start. So let's just welcome the Lord here. Lord, we thank you that you first loved us. Lord, that while we were dead in our sins, Christ died for us. Lord, we thank you that you became sin for us, so that in him we may become the righteousness, we might have the righteousness of God. Lord, we thank you that we stand this morning forgiven by Jesus Christ. Lord, we thank you that we stand in the good that you have done for us. Lord, come now by the power of your Holy Spirit. Come and speak to us. Challenge us, Lord, whether we don't know you as Lord and Saviour yet, whether we've just become a Christian and we're just learning uh, foundational truths about you, whether we've been living uh, a Christian life trying to follow you for many, many years. Lord, we pray for each one of us now. Holy Spirit, come and challenge our hearts. Come and mould us to become more and more like Jesus. We ask that in your precious name. Amen. Amen. Right. Okay, so we're walking through Mark's Gospel. We're in Mark chapter 2, and we are going to look at the subject of forgiveness. Um, So I wanted to just show you a real-life story, just to um, start off our time together. So this lady behind me is a lady called Mary Johnson, and uh, she lives in Minneapolis in Minnesota. In 1993, her only son... Laramian Bird was shot in the head by a 16-year-old at a party that he was after he was at after an argument, um, and you, you can see behind me his gravestone as well. Um, and this is his killer, a chap called O'Shea Israel. He was involved in drugs and gangs at a young age, and um, he was tried as an adult and sentenced to 25 years in jail, of which he served 17 years of his sentence. Now, Mrs. Johnson originally wanted justice and to see Israel locked up for what he had done. She said, my son was gone, I was angry and hated this boy and hated his mother. The murder was like a tsunami, shock, disbelief, hatred, anger, blame. I wanted him to be caged up like the animal he was. She decided to find a support group um, which counselled mothers for whom they, who'd suffered grief, the loss of their children. Um, and this group encouraged them to actually reach out to the murderers who were victims um, of another kind. She says, hurt is hurt, it doesn't matter what side you're on. Then the article that I was reading goes on to say, then just a few years ago, the 59-year-old teacher and devout Christian asked if she could meet Israel in the prison at Minnesota's Silverwater State Prison. She said she felt compelled to see if there was a way that she could forgive her son's killer. At first, Israel refused, but then, nine months later, after persistently writing to him, he changed his mind. Israel said he was shocked by the fact that she wanted to meet him. The pair met regularly after that. When Israel was released from prison around 18 months ago, Mrs. Johnson moved and introduced him to her landlord, who, with her blessing, invited Israel to move into the building. And there's the building in which she lives. In fact, not just into the building that she lives, but into the adjoining apartment. Mrs. Johnson and Israel are now close friends. A situation, the article says, that she puts down to her strong religious beliefs, but she says she also has a selfish motive. She said, unforgiveness is like cancer. It will eat you from the inside out. 
It's not about that other person. Me forgiving him does not diminish what he's done. Yes, he murdered my son, but the forgiveness is for me. Mary Johnson even wears a necklace with a two-sided locket. On one side are photos of herself and her son, and on the other side there's a picture of Israel. Israel admits he still struggles with the extraordinary situation in which he finds himself. He said, I haven't totally forgiven myself yet. I'm learning to forgive myself, and I'm still growing toward trying to forgive myself. The article says Israel now hopes to prove himself to, his mo- to the mother of the man that he killed. He works at a recycling plant during the day and goes to college at night. He says he's determined to pay back Mrs. Johnson's clemency by contributing to society. He visits prisons and churches to talk about forgiveness and reconciliation. Mrs. Johnson often joins him and they tell their story together. He added, a conversation can take you a long way. That's quite an extreme story of real life forgiveness. And when we think about the subject of forgiveness, I wonder what it conjures up in your mind. Have you ever have have you ever had to forgive someone for something massive in your life? I know from my safeguarding training as a teacher that even in a small-sized room, you will often have people that have suffered great things. And in a church this size, there will be people across here who've had awful things done to them. There might be people here who have done awful things to other people, a bit like this chap in the story. In the light of the Manchester bombing this week, we're all forced to think, aren't we, about the issues of justice, truth, forgiveness. Even if we had no connection with the events, I'm sure they've still impressed themselves on your heart and you've been challenged in terms of, if you're a Christian here, your own faith and where you stand. It's human and natural to want justice in some way. We think, hear people saying, well, it's an eye for an eye, a tooth for a tooth. It feels like it's our natural default is to want people to suffer if we have suffered ourselves. We seem to have an inbuilt sense of fairness. How have you reacted when things have been done to you? How have you reacted maybe when things haven't happened to you, when people have let you down, when things that you were expecting to happen haven't happened? How have you reacted when life has not gone the way you expected it to? Well, this morning, we're going to have a bit of a practical session on forgiveness. So, you know me, I'm all about the practical activity. So I don't kind of, at some point in the talk, we're going to do some some practical stuff to do with forgiveness. So I don't want you switching off this morning. Uh, And I'm going to just give you the heads up that we're going to do a practical response. It's not going to be a massive in front of people response. But all together, we're going to be thinking about this issue of forgiveness and actually doing some praying individually. So be prepared. Right, before we start, I want to do a few book recommendations. Um, When I came to this church as a student, um, Greg Haslam, who was the pastor here, um, I remember him really clearly saying to me, Jim, fuel your faith with words. Okay, I love reading, and actually I find that reading good Christian books really blesses you in your faith. So I just want to talk... uh, I recommend four books. Firstly is a Christian classic, The Hiding Place, by Corrie ten Boom. Um, she was rounded up uh, during the Second World War and uh, interned in a concentration camp and saw great atrocities in her life, um, but actually was forced to f- come to terms with what does forgiveness look like in her life. So that's a great, great classic book. 
Um, a slightly more contemporary book which just wrestles with the ideas of forgiveness. Um, this is called I Am N, Inspiring Stories of Christians Facing Islamic Extremists. For those of you who follow the news closely, you'll know that in, in many countries, uh, for Christians who are persecuted, they'll often have um, the kind of the Arabic sign um, for N, which is the start of the word Christian, um, sprayed on their property. If their house is going to be taken away from them, it's almost like they're branded with that sign. And it's just some testimonies of um, Christians living today in countries where um, they're suffering persecution persecution for their faith, um, how they're having to forgive, rather full-on things that are happening in their lives. So that's, that's a more up-to-date book, a great book by Phil Moore. Um, who's, who reads Phil Moore's books? Let's have a quick show of hands. Okay, not enough people. You've got to read Phil Moore's commentaries, okay? I'll bang on about them every time. He does a series of commentaries called the Straight to the Heart series, um, but this is an amazing book, if not just for a, kind of a rather interesting picture of Jesus with gaffer tape on his mouth, but it's a fantastic book about things Jesus said that are fairly controversial and we're, fa- we're kind of forced to grapple with, wow, if that is true, what impact does that have on my life? So get hold of a copy of that. Um, and lastly, a book on prayer by R.T. Kendall, um, and he kind of takes you through the Lord's Prayer, and I was really blessed um, blessed reading this. Kate and I have both read this as well, um, and there's a great section about forgiveness in that book too. Okay, right, I'm going to ask Ben Duggan to come up and read the passage. So great having guys in our youth group who are so happy to serve. So Ben is going to read from Mark. We've got Matt Duggan, his brother, on the back doing the PowerPoint. So it's a real kind of family affair this morning. So if you can open your Bibles at Mark chapter 2, and the words will also come up on the screen behind you. So, over to you. A few days later, when Jesus again entered Capernaum, the people heard that he had come home. They gathered in such large numbers that there was no room left, not even outside the door, and he preached the word to them. Some men came, bringing him a paralyzed man, carried by four of them. Since they could not get him to Jesus because of the crowd, they made an opening in the roof above. Jesus saw digging through it, and then lowered the mat the man was lying on. When Jesus saw their faith, he said to the paralyzed man, Son, your sins are forgiven. Now some teachers of the law were sitting there, thinking to themselves, Why does this fellow talk like that? He's blaspheming. Who can forgive sins but God alone? Immediately Jesus knew in his spirit that this was what they were thinking in their hearts. And he said to them, Why are you thinking these things? Which is easier to say to this paralyzed man, Your sins are forgiven, or to say, Get up, take your mat, and walk. But I want you to know that the Son of Man has authority on earth to forgive sins. So he said to the man, I tell you, get up and take your mat and go home. He got up, took his mat, and walked out in full view of them all. This amazed everyone, and they praised God, saying, we have never seen anything like this. Great. Thank you very much, Ben. Fantastic. Okay, so I don't know about you, but when, often when I'm reading stories from the Bible, I find I need to visualise them. Um, it helps me to kind of look at pictures, people's kind of representations of them. So I've got a few kind of interesting pictures of this story from Jesus' life. So let's have the first one, Matt. This is a mosaic from about 500 AD, um, and kind of some interesting perspective there. So you've got, you got Jesus out kind of almost as tall as the house there, um, and some little munchkins lowering their friend down into the house. Let's have the next one, Matt. This is a later, this is kind of from the 15th century, um, and this was actually given to um, Henry, made for King Henry V around 1420. Um, slightly interestingly, the author there has kind of 
put the friends inside the house and then they're lowering him outside the house, which I don't kind of slightly defeats the point of having to lower him down. Anyway, slightly random that one. Um, next picture. Okay, by about the 17th century, artists kind of sorted out perspective a little bit more, didn't they? So, so the, here are some better pictures here that give maybe a bit more of an idea of what the, the room looks cramped now. I mean, you've got kind of millions of people going out of the door to the left on that, that, that picture there. But it's got a bit more of an idea of probably how crowded Peter's house in Capernaum would have been. Um, that actually, the people had to force their way, were trying to force their way to Jesus. Um, maybe these people had come for different agendas. Some people had maybe come to hear him preach. Some people had come for healing, maybe. Some people, just like a celebrity, just wanted to catch a glimpse of him. Um, but this, these pictures give a bit more of an idea of what it might have been like. Um, and the last picture, please, Matt. Okay, this is, this is from kind of about the, the mid to late 1800s. Um, kind of... I quite like this picture because the, you've got Jesus' arms reaching up to meet the paralytic. There are lots of, kind of, lots of nice angles going on in the picture. So we'll leave that one up um, whilst we just talk about this passage. So Jesus, as Ben mentioned, kind of returned to Capernaum. He'd been um, there, he'd been away and come back again. It was probably Peter's house that he was in. Um, and a bit like a celebrity or sports star, um, people had come to him, pressing in to get a glimpse of him. And we today might be here for ve- various reasons. Some of you are here because you love Jesus and you just want to engage with God alongside God's people. Some of you might be just interested in what this whole thing about church is and might have just popped your head in. Some of you might be really seeking answers, maybe seeking healing or seeking guidance for your life. So the friends wanted to get their friend to Jesus. So they actually went up on the flat roof, made a hole in it and lowered their friend down to see Jesus. Now, Jesus, in the passage, obviously he was teaching the word of God, the passage says, but he decided that this incident was worth him kind of making a a bit of a spectacle. I mean, it was a, a spectacle, the man coming down anyway, but Jesus, the passage said, he knew that people were thinking things. Okay? The Bible says man looks on the outside, but God looks on the heart. Okay? Isn't it? And it's, it's a really great, reassuring thing to know that God knows our hearts. But actually Jesus, who was fully God, knew the, the thoughts of the people in the room as the friends were lowering him down. So I want us to look at what was Jesus doing in this passage. So the first thing I would say, is Jesus was drawing their attention to man's greatest need. The friends brought him to Jesus for healing. It was fairly obvious. It was a fairly outward sign that uh, this guy, he's been paralytic for a long time. Let's lower him to Jesus. Let's, Let's get him to Jesus for healing. However, Jesus' question was, what is easier to do? To say your sins are forgiven or to say, pick up your mat and walk. Now, actually, as Christians, we know that to be forgiven cost God his only son. To be forgiven cost the life of Jesus Christ, Jesus dying on the cross for us. However, maybe to one another, saying, I forgive you, might seem easier. And actually, having your, he- your body healed might be the harder thing. Phil Moore says this from straight to the heart of Mark. His healings had made him very popular with the Jews, but he wanted to do far more than simply heal the sick among them. He had come to call them to repentance and confession of their sin. He had come to deal with the heart of the problem 
by dealing with the problem of the human heart. What are you coming to Jesus for this morning? Are you merely interested in catching a glimpse of him? Are you asking him for healing? We as a church often pray for people who are unwell. And we've been praying recently for Viv's daughter, Hannah, um, who's got really severe cancer at the moment. And we're coming to God in faith. We're, we're raising Hannah up before God in petition and prayer. Jesus is showing us as well in this passage that all sin is against God. In the Psalms, in Psalm 51.4, it says this, Against you, you only, have I sinned and done what is evil in your sight. So you're right in your verdict and justified when you judge. Jesus says to this paralytic on the mat, your sins are forgiven. And in some ways, the religious teachers are right. Only God can forgive sins. But they don't believe Jesus is God. They think he's blaspheming. So in some way, although Jesus doesn't have to heal this man, actually, he wants to demonstrate that he is who he is and backs up saying your sins are forgiven by showing a healing. C.S. Lewis talks about forgiveness. And when he talks about forgiveness, he talks about it in terms of we'll often forgive one another for little things, but what Jesus did here was something far greater. Let me read it out because it's quite small on the screen. He says this, what this man, as in Jesus said, was quite simply the most shocking thing that has ever been uttered by human lips. I mean the claim to forgive sins. Now unless the speaker is God, this is really so preposterous as to be comic. We can all understand how a man forgives offences against himself. You tread on my toe and I forgive you. You steal my money and I forgive you. But what should we make of a man who himself unrobbed and untrodden on who announced that he forgave you for treading on other men's toes and stealing other men's money? Yet this is what Jesus did. He told people that their sins were forgiven and never waited to consult all the other people whom their sins had undoubtedly injured. He unhesitatingly behaved as if he were partly, chiefly offended in all offences. This makes sense only if he really was the God whose laws are broken and whose love is wounded in every sin. In the mouth of every speaker who is not God, words would simply, these words would simply imply what I can only regard as silliness and conceit unrivaled by any other character in history. So Jesus in this passage is showing us that actually God forgives sins. God forgives every sin because ultimately every sin is ultimately against God. Which is easier, do we think, to say your sins are forgiven or get up, take your mat and walk? I was spending some time this week with my teaching assistant in my classroom and she's a Jehovah's Witness. And we were talking about I, I, well, I first started just by asking her why she kind of knocks on doors and you know, what that's all about. Um, and actually, in further chat about Jesus, actually, I realised that she doesn't see Jesus as equally God. Jesus, according to the Jehovah's Witnesses, is created by God. And so they have no assurance of salvation because Jesus, in their view, hasn't paid for their sins. So their idea of the Great Commission is knocking on doors to earn them points to hopefully be able to 
kind of enter in with the faithful few. And I was really struck by the fact that as a Christian, isn't it reassuring to know that Jesus has forgiven our sins? That every time we muck up, that every time we sin against someone else, even if it's unintentionally, that sin is paid for in full by Jesus' blood. So, my next point is what are we going to take away from this passage this morning? Now, I've, I've rattled really quickly through the passage and if John Groves was going to kind of critique this, or Steve Chick, um, who's on sabbatical, actually big up Steve Chick, um, hope you're listening. Um, if John was going to critique my talk, he probably would say, oh, we've, we've really rattled through that. But actually, I've, I've gone through the passage quickly because I really want us to look at the heart of this talk, which is what is forgiveness, okay? And we're going to have a practical time of doing some forgiveness work this morning. So, forgiveness is a massive topic. It's a massive area. Many here, will have, as I've said, will have suffered massive things in their lives. So I'm not making light of the subject. But my first point is, have you been forgiven? If you know Jesus as your Lord and Saviour, then the answer is a heartfelt yes, isn't it? We know we have been forgiven. It's not because we're good. It's not because we've done great things. It's all because of what Jesus did for us. We are in Christ. If you have ask Jesus to be your Lord and Saviour, if you have repented from your sins and said that you want to follow him, then you are now in Christ. You are clothed. It's almost like he's put a spotless garment on you. So actually all your sins have been paid for and God the Father sees you as righteous and holy. Hallelujah. We're covered by the forgiveness, by the blood of Jesus. It says in Colossians chapter 1, For he has removed from us the dominion of darkness and brought us into the kingdom of the son he loves, in whom we have redemption, the forgiveness of sins. Hallelujah. All our sins are ultimately against God. Your sin towards others was paid for on the cross by Jesus. He hung there for you and for me. If you're not a Christian here, your sins still stand before God. In Colossians it says, For you died... And your life is now hidden with Christ in God. If you know Jesus here, it's almost like he's hidden you in his righteousness. He has covered you and paid for every sin. Hallelujah. Do you know this forgiveness and freedom in your life? Let's go on to the next point. Will you forgive others? Forgiveness is our decision to accept God's grace to let go of the hurt due to sins committed against us and to express this by acts of mercy and love to the offender. Like Mary Johnson that we heard about earlier, it's not just kind of going, yeah, all right, whatever, all right, I'll forgive you. Actually, that woman showed mercy and love to that boy who had taken her son away. That's an amazing thing, isn't it? And actually, we're going to look at this morning that actually it's with the help of God, in God's, with Christ's help, that we are able to forgive. The sobering thing is that unless we forgive others, God won't forgive us. And I was really challenged by this when I was reading um, Gagging Jesus. And I'm just going to read a parable that Jesus um, says. It's It's a very famous parable. It's about the unmerciful servant. Then Peter came to Jesus and asked, Lord, how many times shall I forgive my brother when he sins against me? Up to seven times? Jesus answered, I tell you, not seven times, but 77 times. Therefore, the kingdom of heaven is like a king who wanted to settle accounts with his servants. 
As he began to settle them, a man who owed him 10,000 talents was brought to him. That was, that's a lot of money. Since he was not able to pay, the teacher, sorry, the master ordered that he and his wife and children and all he had were to be sold to repay the debt. The servant fell on his knees before him. Be patient with me, he begged, and I'll pay back everything. The servant's master took pity on him, cancelled the debt and let him go. But when that servant went out, he found one of his fellow servants who owed him a hundred denarii. He grabbed him and began to choke him. At this bit, I imagine kind of like, you know, when Homer Simpson chokes Bart and he's like, Um, so he began to choke him. Pay back what you owe me, he demanded. His fellow servant fell to his knees and begged him, be patient with me, I'll pay you back. But he refused. He went off and had that man thrown into prison until he could pay the debt. When the other servants saw what had happened, they were greatly distressed and went and told their master everything that had happened. Then the master called the servant in. You wicked servant, he said. I cancelled all that debt of yours because you begged me to. Shouldn't you have had mercy on your fellow servant just as I had on you? In anger, his master turned him over to his jailers to be tortured until he should pay back all he owed. And this is, this is the bit that really struck me. Jesus says this. This is how my heavenly father will treat each of you unless you forgive your brother from your heart. Everybody loves to hear that Jesus has forgiven their sins, don't we? We love singing about it. We love singing, oh, it's great. Lord, you've cancelled my sins, you've wiped them away. Hallelujah, and all that. Okay, but we like it rather less when we hear that we've got to forgive others or God won't forgive us. Jesus tells us that how we treat others is how we view how we have been treated by God. Okay, it's quite important that actually how we deal with others is a reflection of how we feel we've been treated by God. If we feel that there's a massive debt that we owe to God, then actually others' debt towards us will suddenly seem small in comparison. If we think our sins aren't too bad, then actually when others sin against us, we'll get really riled by that. This is what Phil Moore says in Gagging Jesus. The servant's offer to repay the debt in instalments was preposterous, rather like our attempts to impress God through church attendance or Bible reading, which is why the master interrupts him and offers him mercy instead. He's angry with the servant later because his refusal to forgive a far smaller debt proved that he hadn't grasped how serious his own debt had been. He hadn't understood how much it had cost his master to wipe the slate clean. Jesus tells us that when we refuse to forgive others, it also demonstrates that deep down we don't think our sin is very serious and that it didn't cost God very much to forgive us. So let's go on to the next point. What do we forgive? Well, we should forgive everything. Actions done to us deliberately, things that we have suffered unknowingly at the hands of someone else, things that haven't happened as we expected, maybe words said to us, ways we've been offended. There'll be people in this room who actually will need to forgive me, because I can be very flippant with some some of the things I say. And um, so there'll be people here who need to forgive church leaders for the way that they feel they've been treated. There'll be people here who maybe need to forgive their husband or their wife or their friends. 
Next point is how do we forgive? Now, the welcome team are just going to jump up. Welcome team. Um, and the welcome team have got some cards and some pens. And I would like everyone to take a card and pen as they come round, okay? Because um, John was mentioning it, um, that kind of freedom in Christ teaching says that no matter whether you're just a Christian or whether you've been following Jesus for many, many, many years, actually it's a little bit like a tyre that rolls down the road. And as a, even a brand new tyre, if you've had your wheels done recently, your tyres done recently, you have these lovely new tyres on your car, and actually, before you get home, it will have probably picked up a bit of dog poo, a bit of chewing gum, um, maybe even you'd have got a puncture if you're unlucky, um, and it's like that with our lives. So as, as Christians, as we go through life, we'll rub shoulders with people who will offend us, or who will offend, who will fall out with, and actually the process of forgiveness is something that we need to be doing constantly. So that's why I'd like everyone to grab a card and a pen this morning. I don't want you to kind of sit there going, well, this is not for me, because actually I'm pretty sure that I'm quite a forgiving kind of person, really. I don't hold on to stuff. So welcome team are going to come and hand these cards round. Don't worry, you're not going to have to stand up if you need to forgive someone and kind of can't run to the front and confess big things. This is going to be between you and God, okay? So I've got a prayer on one side of the card that we're going to pray in a minute. And what we're going to do, we're going to ask God's Holy Spirit just to speak to us and to bring to mind people that we need to forgive personally. So this isn't going to be like a kind of share it with your partner, okay? This is going to be something between you and God. So make sure you've all got a card to do that. Even while you're sitting there, you might just want to start to think about if any names come into your mind. I'm going to pray in a minute, and we're going to ask God to speak to us. But there might be people already, as I'm talking, you're thinking, man, I've, I've really got to forgive that person. Okay? It could be really big things. It could be things that actually were quite trifling. It could have been the way that maybe I flippantly spoke to someone in the youth group. Maybe, guys, you've got to forgive me, and you write me down, or that sort of thing. It might be something quite big from your childhood. It might be something to do with the way things that happened panned out in life. So, can you turn to this side of the card where there's this, this prayer on this side? And we're actually just going to pray it all out loud, actually. It'd be really good to do that. I really believe there's, there's power in praying these things out loud. So we're all going to pray this together. And then what I'd like you to do is just quietly, for 30 seconds, just write down some names... Obviously, husbands and wives, if you're writing down each other's name, you know, that's, that's fine. Maybe keep it secret. It depends on what your marriage is like, really, I suppose. I've certainly got stuff to forgive Kate for, and I'm sure Kate's got stuff to forgive me for. Even saying that, Kate now needs to forgive me for that. Okay. Are you ready? Get your cards ready. We're just going to pray this out loud. Let's go. Dear Heavenly Father, I thank you for the riches of your kindness and patience towards me knowing that your kindness has led me to repentance. I confess that I have not shown that same kindness and patience towards those who have hurt or offended me. Instead, I have held on to my anger, bitterness and resentment towards them. Please bring to mind all the people I need to forgive in order that I may now do so. In Jesus' name. Amen. Don't question whether you need to forgive people or not. If God brings a name to your mind, just write it down at the moment, okay? So don't, don't think too deeply, just write some names down. Often, we hold things against ourselves as well. Maybe punishing ourselves for wrong choices we've made in the past. 
So if that resonates with you, write, my, write, write myself at the bottom of that list as well. If that resonates you. Forgiving yourself is simply the truth that God's already forgiven you in Christ. So if God forgives you, you can forgive yourself as well. So you might want to write yourself down. You might also want to write down thoughts against God at the bottom of your list. Obviously, God has never done anything wrong. So we don't need to forgive God. But sometimes we can harbour angry thoughts to God because he didn't do what we wanted him to do. Those feelings of anger and resentment against God can become a wall between us and him. So we must let them go. So you might want to write down thoughts against God as well down there. Okay, thank you guys. Right, I'm going to go on to, I thought before we actually pray quietly for one or two of these people, I just want to look quickly at what is forgiveness and what forgiveness is not. So let's just go through this. Thank you, Matt, if you can whack the next slide up. So things forgiveness is not. Forgiveness is not a feeling. Okay, if we wait till we feel like forgiving, most of the time we will never get there. Forgiving is not forgetting. Okay, God, it's amazing in scripture, it says that God can do that. There's a a kind of a, I I don't quite know, and you might want to tussle with this over lunch, or um, God is a God who knows everything, but actually in the Bible, if you flick the next slide up, Matt, it says in Isaiah 43, I, even I, am he who blots out your transgressions for my own sake and remembers your sins no more. Whether that's before the throne of God, God doesn't remember our sins. I mean, I want to look into that a bit more, but it's amazing. God, in some way, can forget our sins or not hold them against him. We find that very hard, don't we? We find that very hard. Forgiving doesn't mean you're forgetting what's happened to you. So the next one. Forgiving is not conditional. Okay? It's not like, well, if they repent and say sorry, then I'll forgive them. Okay? You may never get reconciled with that person. You might not even see that person who has offended you. Okay? So forgiving isn't conditional. It's not, not based on their response. You might ask someone to, you might say to someone, I forgive you, and they might, they might not even think that they've got anything to be sorry for. Okay? But the onus is still on you to forgive that person. Even if people continue to hurt us, we must forgive. If you think about Luke, in, in, in Luke, when Jesus is hanging on the cross, people are hurling insults at Jesus, and he says, forgive them, Father, for they know not what they're doing. So even whilst they're in the middle of offending Jesus, of hurting Jesus, he forgives them in the, in the middle of that process. Let's look at the next point. Forgiveness is not saying that what that person did was okay. Sin matters. Everyone will have to give an account to God one day for their sins. God forgives, but he doesn't condone sin. In John, a lady, a lady is, is, um, is caught in the act of um, adultery, and um, she's going to get stoned for her sins. And actually Jesus says, you know, he is without sin, cast the first stone. And then one by one, people leave the woman. And at the end it says this, Jesus straightened up and asked her, woman, where are they? Has no one condemned you? No one, sir, she said. Then neither do I condemn you, Jesus declared. Go now and leave your life of sin. There will be offences that we're praying about this morning that may need following up. And actually, if someone has done something to you that is unlawful or illegal, 
actually, the right thing to do with that sin is to go and tell someone. And maybe you've even got to go and speak to the police. Okay, so sin isn't kind of saying, oh, that's, uh, forgiveness isn't saying that's okay. So if, if anyone has done stuff to you that actually was against the law, then that needs to be followed up, okay? The next thing, forgiveness isn't pretending that you weren't hurt. Don't sweep it under the rug. Forgiving isn't going, oh, that's all right, it doesn't matter, okay? Um, it's quite a good habit to get into. If someone says, oh, I'm sorry to you, rather than going, that's okay, maybe saying, I forgive you. Because actually, when you're saying, that's okay, actually, you're almost going, well, it doesn't matter what you did, okay? Because sometimes when people say sorry, it's something that actually hurt you quite deeply. So get in the habit of saying, oh, I forgive you for that. Forgiveness isn't trusting that person. It doesn't mean that you've got to be reconciled with that person. If someone came and abused one of my children, would I trust that person again? I would be very, very reticent to trust that person again. Now, I'm not saying it's one strike and you're out with people. So if someone offends you, it's not like, whoa, I'm not going not to trust you now because Jim says I don't need to trust you. Actually, as Christians, we need to hit, feel the challenge of God's Holy Spirit, don't we? And actually to, to bear with one another. The next thing, forgiveness isn't resigning ourselves. Okay? It's not being a victim, being walked all over. Okay? Or saying about those people, oh, well, they're just like that. That's just what they're like. Forgiveness is not ignoring things trying to make a fresh start without dealing or confronting the problem. This condones sin rather than dealing with it. Forgiveness isn't letting time pass. Some people say, oh, time's a healer. Time isn't a healer, is it? We just find ways to cope or ways to bury things. Forgiveness is not letting people off the hook. Okay? In 1 Peter, have you got the slide there, Matt? In, oh, Sorry, let's go back, Matt. Sorry. Um, okay, forgiveness is not letting people off the hook. And I'll read that one Peter scripture in a minute because I've put it in a different place. Sorry, just to confuse you. Um, but it's not relieving other people of their responsibility. In fact, the only person that gets damaged by unforgiveness is ourselves. Phil Moore says unforgiveness is spiritual suicide. And then Pope John Paul II, who we've got a nice picture of him in his cloak here, he says forgiveness is the restoration of freedom to oneself it's the key held in our own hand to our own prison cell. Sometimes we can think, if we, if we don't release that person, we're holding them to account. But actually, that person might not even know that you've got a grudge against them. And they're free and happy. And actually, it's only us who are kind of caught up in bitterness. Freedom is not necessarily always spoken. So I'm not saying that after this, you need to go and find every single person you need to forgive and speak to them. That might not be appropriate. In fact, in some cases, it might make the situation worse. This is a little insight in how judgmental a person I am. Okay? When I was a student, there was a guy in this church. He's not here anymore. Lovely, godly Christian guy. But the way he worshipped just annoyed me so much. Okay? And I, I'm so superficial. And, the, the way, and probably the way I worship annoys loads of people. So it's a, there are three fingers pointing back at me when I point the finger. But... This, the way it just irrationally annoyed me, the way that he kind of danced around. Um, and, and actually, God one day put his finger on that. I was like, Jim, what on earth are you doing? Um, kind of being really kind of bitter towards this person, okay? You need to forgive him and, and pray for him and actually pray God's blessing on him. And actually, I did that and I, I knew a real release of that. Now, would it be appropriate me going up to him and going, do you know what, the way you worship really annoyed me, but I've now forgiven you? That wouldn't be appropriate. So there might be people here that actually you need to forgive, but actually going to talk to them might not be the right thing to do. However, there might be people that you do need to, and after this talk, actually you do need to go and ask that person's forgiveness. 
So, in Matthew it says this, um, this is how my heavenly father will treat you unless you forgive your brother from your heart, okay? So even if we're not speaking forgiveness, it needs to be something that touches us in our heart, okay? So it might be in a minute you're going to be forgiving people, make sure it touches your heart, okay? When I forgave that guy, I knew a change in my heart towards him. And lastly, what is forgiveness not? It's not necessarily a one-off event, You might have to keep forgiving people, again, that person, again and again and again. Now, it might be because that person keeps doing something to you. It might be because regularly these thoughts keep coming up. Oh, yes, and and you need to keep giving it to God, okay? Forgiveness can be a process as well. Remember that passage Matt's going to put up. Peter asked Jesus, how many times should I forgive my brother? And Jesus says, not seven seven times, but 77 times. Or it could could actually translate as 70 times seven. So it's not like we're keeping a record. I think it's Hillary Clinton who famously kind of said, you know, Jesus said forgive 70 times and I'm keeping a record or that sort of thing. So it's like, well, the 71st time, you know, you're out. Actually, it's about that ongoing process of forgiving people. So that's what forgiveness isn't. Let's very, very quickly before we finish look at what forgiveness is. Firstly, forgiveness is a choice. It is a decision we make. As we've seen, it's not a feeling. So when we pray later, we are going to say to God, I choose to forgive this person. It's not a suggestion. It's a commandment. In the Lord's Prayer, Jesus says this when he's teaching his disciples on prayer. He says, this then is how you should pray. Our Father in heaven, and then later on it says, forgive us our debts as we also have forgiven our debtors. Now, R.T. Kendall comments on this little phrase in the Lord's Prayer, and he says this, I suppose this petition has made liars out of more people than any document in history. I say this because it's a plea and a promise. The plea is for forgiveness of our own sins. The promise is a statement that we also have forgiven those who sinned against us. I fear that untold millions prayed this petition and either didn't know what they were saying or didn't, know, didn't want to know or didn't mean it. Okay, so have we forgiven others? Um, forgiveness is leaving judgment to God alone. So I was talking about not letting people off the hook. God will keep those people accountable for those sins. Isn't it good to know that God is a God of justice? It's not like God goes, it doesn't matter. Sin matters. Sin matters so much that Jesus had to die on a cross for your sin because God loved you so much. Sin matters. God doesn't brush things under the carpet. Returning to God, the responsibility for dealing with sin is releasing. One day God will judge every sin apart from those who are in Jesus Christ. Okay, that people that if you know Jesus here, God's not going to treat you as your sins deserve because God has shown you grace at the cross. In 1 Peter, this is a scripture I mentioned earlier, it says this but they will have to give account to him who is ready to judge the living and the dead. What else is forgiveness? Well, forgiveness is from the heart. When we allow God to bring those painful memories to the surface in order for us to forgive, then it's, it changes us as well. If forgiveness doesn't touch the emotional core of our lives, it will be incomplete. Too often, we might be afraid of the pain that letting those memories comes to, brings to the surface causes, but we need to allow God to heal those damaged emotions. The next point, freedom from forgiveness is a weapon against the devil. 
Okay, John spoke about this two weeks ago. He was talking about demons, and he was talking about the devil gets a foot can get the foot a foothold in the lives of Christians, actually. But by releasing forgiveness towards others, it doesn't allow the devil to allow bitterness to rise up inside you. In the book of Ephesians, it says this: In your anger, do not sin. Do not let the sun go down while you're still angry, and do not give the devil a foothold. And lastly, what is forgiveness? Well, it's for everyone not just for some Christians. We all pick things up as we rub shoulders with others and do life with other people. In Ephesians, it says this. This is a command. Get rid of all bitterness, rage and anger, brawling and slander, along with every form of malice. Be kind and compassionate to one another, forgiving each other, just as in Christ, God forgave you. To prove that this is for everyone. I just want to read a little passage from Corrie Ten Boom's book, The Hiding Place. She saw many family and many friends die in concentration camps. And actually later on in her life, she went on to have a ministry preaching the gospel and preaching about forgiveness. And she thought that everything was ticking along nicely. And then in one meeting, this happened. She says this, it was at a church meeting in Munich that I saw him. The former SS man who had stood guard at the shower room door in the processing centre at Ravensbrook. He was the first of our actual jailers that I had seen since that time. And suddenly it was all there. The room full of mocking men, the heaps of clothing, Betsy's pain-blanched face, that's her sister. He came up to me as the church was emptying, beaming and bowing. How grateful I am for your message, Fraulein, he said, to think that, as you say, he has washed my sins away. His hand was thrust out to shake mine. And I, who had preached so often to people the need to forgive, kept my hand at my side. Even as the angry, vengeful thoughts boiled through me, I saw the sin of them. Jesus Christ had died for this man. Was I going to ask for more? Lord Jesus, I prayed, forgive me and help me to forgive him. I tried to smile. I struggled to raise my hand. I could not. I felt nothing, not the slightest spark of warmth or charity. And so again, I breathed a silent prayer. Jesus, I cannot forgive him. Give me your forgiveness. As I took his hand, the most incredible thing happened. From my shoulder, along my arm, and through my hand, a current seemed to pass through me, from me to him, while into my heart sprang a love for this stranger that almost overwhelmed me. And so I discovered that it is not on our our forgiveness any more than on our goodness that the world's healing hinges, but on his. When he tells us to love our enemies, he gives, along with the command, the love itself. Right, can we just stand, please? And worship band, have you come up? Just to finish, I'd just like you quietly just to choose one of the names on your card in front of you. Now, the reason I've asked you to write lots of names on your card is it's almost like a little bit of homework for you. I would like you over this week in your own times with God to pray through this list of people and on the back to pray this prayer, choosing to forgive those people, actually naming the things that have happened and saying that you choose not to hold on to your resentment. But just in the quiet now, I just want you to think of one person on that list. I just want you to close your eyes. 
I just want you to think about, are you going to choose to forgive that person?